Hi, everybody. This is Mikey D. Welcome to my stoop. There once was a small American town, and although it sat in the forgotten corner of a giant city, it was much like any other small community around America. Everyone knew everyone else's name and everyone's business. Instead of a stream or a brook, we had the fire hydrant. We didn't have farmer's markets, but we did have a well-stocked bodega. And rather than sitting on the front porch to watch the little world fall by, we sat on our stoops. It seems like an ancient time, like it was some lost city. It was like I had watched it all from the stoops of Atlantis. Episode 9, The Monster Box. Before there was an internet, the way to stream music was through the air from the stereo speaker to your tape recorder. That's how we made playlists. Google was that ancient set of encyclopedias that collected dust on the bottom shelves of the bookcases. Browsing for information was also different. It was called magazines. Magazines were the websites you can carry around and use to kill flying, buzzing pests. Try that with BuzzFeed. My older sister was big into the rock magazines like Cream and Circus. I'd appreciate those when I got into my teens. My younger sister was into Vogue, and she loved drawing fashion, and I remember she got those fashion plate toys for Christmas. Yeah, I appreciated Vogue in my teens as well. For me at that age of 11, it was Mad Magazine, Boy's Life, comic books, and... Dynamite! Who said that? You know, I really enjoyed reading... Dynamite! Well, just saying. Well, anyway, there was this magazine for kids I really enjoyed, and it was called... Dynamite! Yeah, that was it. Dynamite magazine was put out by the greatest company in the history of American business, Scholastic Books. There was no better day at school than when that big cardboard box was brought into the classroom by your teacher, filled to the point of popping the tape from the literary treats we all ordered three weeks earlier. I inherited my love of reading from my mom and dad. I always had a good collection of books, but sometimes you just needed to flip through something while sitting under that summer sun. A magazine was a great way to get lost. They were the original laptops, the first tablets. And yeah, I love Dynamite magazine. Dynamite! Yeah, okay, enough, JJ. Dynamite was the people, popular mechanics, and some occasions Playboy magazine for kids. There would be some celebrity on the cover like Farrah Fawcett, my first TV crush. (laughs) Or the $6 million man, Mr. T, Chewbacca. If I recall, I think the Night Stalker, Richard Ramirez, made the cover. I mean, hey, what kid didn't want to read about a vicious serial killer with sucking down pixie sticks? <laughs> and the magazine was filled with vital information to ensure a good kiddom. Ice cream soda recipes, I mean, who could forget the ultraviolet? Magic tricks, interviews with TV and movie stars, commercial parodies, jokes, and even posters and cards you can actually pull out. Sometimes you even had those 3D posters that came with the glasses with a red and green lens. A 3D poster in 1976 was the same as donning a virtual reality helmet is today. It was a mind-blowing treat. It was like a literary clubhouse, a cozy place where you could just hide away and escape from the harsh realities of the world. But hidden within that paper paradise were those little demons that tempted and teased young readers to spend more of our valuable allowance money. I mean, what was left after buying the magazine? but they tempted us nonetheless. There they were in the back, 
hiding like devious hand puppets with real dinosaur fangs. Those wacky ads. Now these weren't boring adverts for sinus medicine or toenail fungus cream. I don't know where this stuff came from, but we were talking magic and mystery. Serious stuff for serious kids to do serious things in the days when joysticks and pixels were somewhere far off on the horizon. I mean, they had actual tanks and spaceships for kids. I mean, no way! I mean, I had made a tank once or twice with an old cardboard fridge box, but this one had a cannon, a machine gun, and a top you can close yourself into its claustrophobic but awesome interior. And the exterior. They didn't say Maytag or GE. This was real U.S. Army stars and serial numbers. I dreamed of building my own spaceship and there were a few failed attempts. This spaceship had communications equipment and shielding to make sure that by the time you got back from that afternoon trip to Mars, you didn't show up for dinner with ninth degree interstellar radiation burns. They had it all covered, even a compartment to bring back tribbles or Vulcan China for your mom. It was all for $6.99. And if you were a spy from some ultra-secret organization, then they had stuff Q would be envious of. Spy cameras that could fit into kid-sized fists, invisible ink pens, special pocket-sized periscopes for peering over walls at the many enemies that stalked you, decoders and coders, whistles only dog spies could hear. And I wondered if the CIA was selling its excess stock. These weren't toys. These were the real McCoy. I mean, look out James Bond. And talk about timing. Just as your sixth grade hormones are starting to notice how cute some of your classmates were, well, you know, I mean, you who didn't dream of seeing them in their underwear? And had that covered too. X-ray specs. Yeah, it was more than the name of a punk band. Real x-ray glasses to check out the bones in your hand, the contents of a safe, or the color of Mary Connor or Billy Pastamaguchi's undies. For a buck. A buck. How were they able to sell this sort of tech so cheap? And it was all with the money-back guarantee. Oh no, it's Dead-Eyed Dan, and he's heard that sea monkeys are in town. Dan, Dan, wait, don't go in there. Sea monkeys ain't monkeys, Dan. Why, they don't even live in trees. They live in water, and for little fellas, they sure have big families. All anyone in this town has to do is add sea monkey eggs to prepared water, and bang, they see them alive. Now, Dan, there's only room enough in this town for one kind of monkeys, and that's sea monkeys, so you better head on out. Sea monkeys, the amazing instant pets for the whole family. Then there were sea monkeys. My neighbors were sea monkeys. They moved in in 1975, sealed their entire brownstone interior with green glass and round magnifying windows. Mr. Sebastian Seamonk, he was the dad, and he worked as an underwater welder for Con Ed. His wife, Monica Seamonk, was with the Coast Guard and she rescued countless of underwater welders from drowning. The kids, they went to school somewhere in the East River, although on occasion they did sneak into my pool at night. And they were big time partiers. I would see them sometimes, through the open curtains, dancing with those crowns on their heads and doing backflips in the water that filled their apartment from floor to ceiling. Then one day, without warning, they vanished. Glass was removed, water drained, and the Seamonk family was never seen again. Rumor has it that Booby Coley brought a shark friend to one of their parties and he ate the entire family. Well, maybe they were actually the little ones in my little one-gallon tank I had. I might be remembering it wrong. But I did have a bunch of the little buggers. In any event, I ended up feeding the entire sea monk family to my tropical fish. Sea monkeys were a great example, though, of how little ad demons can twist and manipulate little minds. I mean, didn't we all think we were ordering little aliens? Like a little miniature freaky family we could hang out and communicate with and watch them do their undersea antics? We ended up with a bunch of Artemias. That's right, freaking brine shrimp. There's a special place in hell for that sort of trickery. But, you know, there were ads for seven-foot-tall Frankensteins, a four-foot monster that talked, and monsters you can grow from eggs. 
You could become a karate kung fu or ninja master for 98 cents. There were 100 toy soldiers for a buck and a quarter, 132 Roman soldiers for the same price. A 7-foot robot you could step into and control. Or a real-life squirrel monkey for 1895. What sick people would send a monkey by UPS? I never ordered any of those things. I think that East Harlem bit of my brain was always poking me, telling me these were all too good to be true, while that a turtle kid in me was saying, Mikey, how cool is all this crap? But there was one ad that captured me. One ad I could not resist, no matter how many times Mikey D from 118 and his most streetwise pragmatism warned me. I've never been able to find it again, nor Google it to this day. I believe perhaps it was placed by some top member of the Illuminati, or perhaps an alien race, luring kids to this mysterious planet. If anyone listening knows of this ad, please post it on the Stoops of Atlantis Facebook page. But I warn you, if you value your soul, do not place the order. It was a small two-inch square ad, off in a lonely corner of the last page of one issue of Dynamite. It featured a pair of kids, horror upon their faces, as the box opened before them, vomiting a slew of hell-spawned demonic forms. It was called Monster Box, and it grabbed me by the scruff of my 11-year-old mop of hair, and it slammed me and my imagination against the stony stoop. I needed to have one. I needed to experience this terror in a box and share it with a select few of my circle. You know, I can remember, word for word, I think, the ad's copy. Do you dare open this box? Strange beings from another world will emerge and terrify. You have been warned. One dollar and ninety-eight cents plus shipping. For 199 pennies, this product of the deep and dark places could be mine. I saved up the money and without telling a soul, ordered it, dropping the envelope with cash into the mailbox on the corner. That same mailbox peed on by a thousand dogs and a few local junkies, and that was my conduit to supernatural powers of the monster box. Then there was the wait. Every day after school, like Ralphie in a Christmas story waiting for his decoder ring, I would check the mail and ask my mom if I got a package. Every day she would say no. What did you order? Oh, nothing. This went on and on, and I thought maybe I was scammed, ripped off, taken advantage of. But Dynamite Magazine would never allow that. They sold live monkeys and weight training manuals to beat up boys on the beach. But then finally, on a cold December afternoon, I came home from school to see this cardboard box sitting on the bookcase in the hall where my mom would sometimes weave mail. It was a cube about ten inches on each side. Yep, that was my name on it. I dropped my book bag, snatched the box, and ran up the stairs to my room. There could be no witnesses for the first revelation as this Pandora's box of wicked fun spilled its terrible essence and perhaps banished me to hell and laid my soul to waste. I mean, what was wrong with me? Hadn't Father Sharavala warned me about such things? I took off my coat and sat on the edge of the bed and took the box in my hands. It had some weight. It was sealed with that strong brown tape, that old paper kind that you have to wet with a sponge to make sticky. I swear it was what they used to wrap mummies or seal the tomb of King Tut, because my 11-year-old fingers fought and struggled to find an edge to tear, and I was way too anxious to search for scissors. I was conquering this beast. Finally, with fingertips glowing like ripe crab apples, I managed to separate the tape from the cardboard, and with a spine-chilling squeal, I peeled the tape from the box like a kid from its mother on the first day of school. I opened the flaps of the box, sitting on one butt cheek and prepared to run. It was filled with shredded newspaper, probably from the headlines of other kids who would have been damned to hell. With great caution, I took little finger folds like I was picking cotton candy and tossed it on my bed. Something shimmered within, silver, 
Surely this was an ancient, pure silver receptacle found under the Great Pyramid. Or maybe brought back from the moon. The silver box I discovered was much flatter than expected. Rectangular, about 8 by 5 inches, but as flat as a pencil case. But it did shine with mystery. Hmm. I searched the surface for a way in. There was a small latch that had to be pressed. This was the moment of truth. I wasn't sure what to do to defend myself from what was coming. Suck it up, Mikey. Just do it like a band-aid, fast. I took a deep breath, said a quick prayer, and pushed the latch. The sound I heard would echo in my memory forever. It sounded like this. Actually, no. It sounded like this. It was a metal ring on a twisted rubber band that clanged around the aluminum cigarette holder like a breakdancer. I stared at it for at least three days in disbelief. Well, maybe a minute. The strange beings from another world were, in fact, the clinkety-clink of metal on metal. I was duped. I was made a fool of. My imagination was kicked into the gutter and spit on like a degenerate gambler late with his payment to Philly cannoli balls from 116. And they wondered why kids get jaded. I'm not sure if I ever looked at Dynamite magazine the same. I never ordered anything from a comic book again. Thankfully though, my imagination healed and grew even stronger as I continued ingesting the scene from my stoops of Atlantis. If you have any stories of things ordered from comics and magazines, please post them on the Stoops of Atlantis Facebook page or email them to me at thestoopsofatlantis at gmail.com. I'll read the best ones in future episodes. This has been The Stoops of Atlantis with Mikey D. Stay tuned for future episodes as we journey back to that ancient mythical land that actually existed, East Harlem. And please join the Stoops of Atlantis Facebook page, follow me on Twitter, and subscribe on YouTube or iTunes. See you next time.